Hello, I'm Avery or Hazel or Kylie. You can just pick one. I don't care. Hello, I am Lily. And welcome to the From the Closet podcast. Today, we are finally covering Star vs. the Forces of Evil Season 4. Um, this is the last season of Star vs. the Forces of Evil, so you can join us uh, next month for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1. That is the show that's going to be replacing this slot. Um, also, you can join us next week for Stitch the Movie and Infinity Train Season 4. Okay, so as usual, this podcast episode will contain spoilers for Star vs. the Forces of Evil Season 4. In the description below, you will find a link to Just Watch, which will have links to all the places you can purchase, rent, or stream this show. Uh, our links are centered around the U.S., but if you use the app, it will automatically re redirect you to your country. And if you use the website, you'll be able to change the country from the website page. Also in the description is a link to our Patreon, where you can vote on future episodes of this show and get access to episodes of this show early, as well as episodes of our sister show, Off the Shelf, which is about books. Um, and also in the description is a link to Anchor.fm, which contains links to every platform that this podcast is on, as well as links to our Instagram and Twitter, where you can get notified whenever we release new episodes. And speaking of Twitter, I don't know. If that platform gets too much worse, I might not even want us to continue having a Twitter. Really? Um, I've been thinking about that. Um, honestly, we don't really get much traction anyway on Twitter. Yeah. It exists, yeah. doesn't exist, doesn't really matter. Yeah, like we get way more followers on our Instagram than on our Twitter. Which is very surprising. But yeah. Um, with all that being said, you've been warned there are spoilers ahead. And oh boy. You can... <laughs> you can either yeah. die a hero, or either die a good show, or live long enough to see yourself become Star vs. the Forces of Evil Season 4. Yeah, for real. Like, okay, so I remember at one point, and specifically after the season two finale, I said this was my that this is my favorite show. So you can imagine my surprise. Like, okay, for starters, uh, the battle for Muni was excellent, and then season three was just okay. But imagine my surprise when this season turned out to be absolutely fucking awful. I get it now. It's because it, you decided to become a fan of the show. It all makes sense now. See, like, now I can't even rank this show above Gravity Falls. Because, like, Gravity Falls is just a better show. It doesn't have this massive glaring issue. Now, that being said, this show does a lot of things better than Gravity Falls. It actually develops its characters a lot better than how Gravity Falls does. With the exception of this season. Fuck this season. Um, yeah, Moon doesn't exist in Gravity Falls. 
But, like, how do I put this? Even though I think Gravity Falls is a better show, at, when it comes to which one do I like more, I still think it's this show, with the exception of this season. Yeah, because like I understand what you mean. Like I enjoy watching the first three seasons of this show more than I enjoy watching Gravity Falls. If you had to rank the entire show, you can't turn a blind eye at his faults. Yeah, that's just cheating. So let's dig into this episode by episode. So, in the first episode, um, there's, like, a little brief, like, ten-second com uh, commentary on for-profit prisons. Because, like, oh, we learn Mumins have banned... Uh, bleh, Eclipsa has banned this specific prison from imprisoning monsters. So now, they have to imprison Mumins. And, like, to which Star responds... Why do you have to imprison anyone? And that's just kind of how for-profit prisons work. Like, the yeah. court system, like, leans more towards imprisoning people if there are for-profit prisons in the area. But, yeah, Man, um... Another thing, I, U.S. prisons are just fucked we do I mean, more it, on uh, oh you gotta keep the bad guy out of society instead of rehabilitate we focus too much on punishment and not enough on rehabilitation yes. and that that's what's causing a lot of people to um be repeat offenders and end up back in the prison system but yeah, th their commentary on this is brief, and so so shall our podcast commentary on it. Let's dig into the other, like, the big issue that this episode has. Star is a terrible girlfriend. <laughs> she literally says out loud that she thinks Tom is stupid. Directly to him. I'm pretty sure the word implied has a reason to exist. I think, There's, like, she literally said something, like, I think the word she used was, like, not out loud in response to something about Tom saying something, and uh, I don't know. It, either I think way, the entire thing was just Tom didn't know what a tower was. You didn't know that towers existed in the underworld. But, um, anyway, after Tom's, Tom and Star's call, Tom immediately calls Marco, and, like, their conversation proves that, like, this genuinely upsets him and makes him feel insecure. And then, I, I'm just gonna talk more about shit that, uh, Shit that involves uh, their relationship. In episode three, we see Star basically ogling Marco and some woman whose name I can't remember because she only appears in two episodes. Um, 
But either way, she's ogling two other people while she's in a relationship. So, because of that... weird. Yeah. So, because of that, I hate this. But then also, like, these scenes with her and Marco and this woman are literally the only time Star's bisexuality is even remotely explored. This is literally the only chance that they got. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who Eric is, but um, I do have a note in here that says, I love that Marco and Eric have a genuine conversation about cross-dressing. So, I Eric actually forgot is, who Eric was. Eric is clearly someone from the first three episodes, because my notes from those blend together, and then I make a very clear distinction that says episode four. So, someone very early on. And then episode four, the only note I have is, teenagers are dumb. Now, this is the episode when, Mar uh, bleh, when Star is hanging out with Tom's family, and we get that reveal that I mentioned earlier. But the issue here is they say out loud in the show the issue that I have with the writers. Because the writers tended to excuse a lot of the weird decisions that characters made in this season by saying teenagers are dumb. Like, oh, why do Marco and Kelly break off our off-screen? Teenagers are dumb. Why does Tom break up with Star for seemingly no real reason? Teenagers that are dumb. Why did you include a really weird, unneeded fart joke in an episode? Teenagers are dumb. Like, it got really, really frustrating to see them spewing this perspective in a show that is marketed towards teens. It reminds me of uh, Febreze commercials or really air, any air-smelling commercials. Like, oh, I have such a messy teen, but look, I have Febreze. Yeah, except the issue here is that, like, you can say teenagers make dumb decisions sometimes, and, like, that's fine. But when you're constantly saying teenagers are dumb, when teenagers are your audience, that's a problem. It, it does what a lot of kids shows do nowadays, and it talks down to its audience. Exactly. Um, and I don't think, like, the show itself is necessarily doing that. It's more just, like, I think specifically Darren Nefsey, the creator of the show making this claim over and over again. Like, I get the sense that she genuinely believes that her audience is dumb. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But yeah, um... Moving on, though, we have episode 5. Um, and in episode 5, I can't remember the general plot of the episode, but I do remember that we see there are issues with returning land to the previous inhabitants, which were monsters, 
um, specifically land that Mumins had taken over. Like, there are issues because, like, the Mumins who are being forced to return their land, they don't have any system in place for them. There's nothing to really... There's nothing for them to fall back on. Yeah, and while I understand it is a good thing to have monsters back on their own house, it really does seem like the Mewmans didn't get any prior warning. Yeah. And they got no help after they were basically made homeless. And, like, this leads to a whole community of Mumins growing around Moon. And throughout this episode, we see Moon learning that humans, not humans, Mumins, although they're probably the same thing. Um, I mean, it yeah. looks pretty similar. I mean, they look pretty similar, and the show twice implies that they're the same thing but doesn't really explicitly say it. Um, but anyway, in this episode, Moon learns that Mumins can very, very often be very annoying. I don't know how she didn't already know that as Queen. For real. But it's something. And then episode six, um... Okay, episode six is another Ponyhead episode. Um, oh, let me talk about Ponyhead for a minute. So, because it means less when you say it, because you've always hated Ponyhead. For me, I have liked Ponyhead throughout the series. I understand flaws, but at the end of the day, I can get a good laugh. The Ponyhead episodes in this season sucked so hard like they ruined Ponyhead more than they already ruined Ponyhead yeah I, I, there's an episode later on in this season where I noted down that this episode was the most annoyed I had ever been by Ponyhead and we'll get to that one but um, basically Ponyhead is trying a big PR stunt and they're basically forcing everyone to watch a broadcast hosted by Ponyhead, who, like, I already find annoying, so I can't imagine being the people who are being forced to watch this. And then yeah. the other thing that I was thinking was like, oh yes, let's bother people with muni politics when they would rather be dealing with doing literally anything else. Like, one guy was literally playing Snake. Like, come on. I want to be playing Snake. For real. Me too. Yeah. So, well, what Ponyhead does... I don't even think you'd call it a PR disaster. I've seen PR disasters, and then I've seen this. They yeah. are on a completely different scale. Yeah. But then, like, okay... So, there is one little nugget of something in this episode. Um, hmm. Eclipsa says a quote that I really like. 
Um, and it's actually something I kind of live by. Um, she says, I'd rather be hated for who I am than liked for who I pretend to be. That makes sense, yeah. But yeah, um, I, I just felt like noting that down because I thought it was a really beautiful quote. There are some little nuggets in this season that are pretty good. Um, so, in wait, the B episode... Wait, did we just completely... Wait. What did you... What did we start as episode one? What do you mean? Because we had... We never talked about... Uh, finding Moon. We really didn't, because there actually wasn't too much to say. I mean, I guess there's the reveal that the, uh, the fake butterfly family, I guess that you, that's what you want to call it? Yeah. Comes or from the pie, pie folk. I guess it didn't really need to be said, but it's very interesting, nonetheless. Yeah, it's something. But, anyway, uh, in the B episode for episode 6, there's, there's some stuff going on. But the big takeaway here is that Star lies to Eclipsa about the book. For and seemingly no reason. Yeah, we are never given a reason why. Maybe, and... This is just speculating that she didn't get that piece of the of the book because she knew that there was a spell to undo Romulus's crystal. I don't think that Star would know that. That I think book is maybe too she, big. Maybe she could have known it, but like. At the same time, we're not given an indication that she did know it. Regardless, it doesn't make sense. So, episode I, seven. The other thing about that is, like, maybe Star feared about what Eclipsa would want with the book. So, yeah, um, th th there's just a lot, because, like, I don't know. The thing to me is, like, Star seems generally trusting of Eclipsa, even though no one else is. So, it to me, no matter what her thought process is, unless it's just a selfish desire to hold on to the book, I don't really see a reason for her to lie. Yeah. And then, later on, when she gets mad about stealing it, like... You don't even address the fact that Star knew that she was look like Meteora was looking for it. Star had it, and then just said, "Oh, oh yeah, I have no idea, no idea." Yeah, the fact that Star lied about it is just never brought up. Um, and there's a lot of other things in this season that. They don't get brought up or explained. We'll get to them. So, episode 7. Quest Buy is closing. This... They're doing the bounce lounge thing again. Kind of. Like, 
oh, cool, this other dimension that we've gone to a couple of times is closing now. Why should I care when you've told this story already? Um, I I barely disagree. The Bounce Lounge story is about trying to save the Bounce Lounge. The story that they're trying to tell in here seems more like, you know, Black Friday. You know? I mean, it is a Black Friday parallel, but then they go into this weird employees-only area, and they just do this really strange story for some reason. Um, I feel like they're... But, um, the story began out as a Black Friday episode and then warped into something else. Something weird and random and honestly just completely filler. Which is how I feel about this season. Or really season three and four. But, um... I also have in my my notes, because uh, I never erased it, how did Janna get here? Um... That does get explained later. I just didn't remember that it would be explained later when I was watching the episode. I mean, when you're watching the episode, it does not get explained in for a while. That is something worth noting. Yeah. And then, um, the, the funny thing is, like, um, Marco says to Janna, how did you get here? And then Jana responds, wouldn't you like to know? To which Marco responds, yes, that's why I asked. That's a callback to episode one of the show. When uh. Star and Ludo are talking and Star says, Ludo, I think it's, I, I think it's exactly how did you get here? And then he says, wouldn't you like to know? And she says, yes, that's why I asked. I mean, it's also a very used catchphrase. Well, not very used, but I, I hear it used in properties like the Netflix adaptation of Carmen Sandiego. But yeah, um, part B for episode seven, I literally have Yoshi's two notes. Kelly World. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So I literally made two notes for this episode, and one note is just Marco with a ponytail. Love it. Yes, uh, absolutely love it. But then, in this episode, we get the reveal, Marco has feelings for Star, and he does not want them. And I think this is important, because this is the first time, really... That Marco is saying this out loud. Yes, we've had booth buddies before, and that was it. That was its own thing. But he never, he never really said much beyond that. I feel booth like because, like, I think this is just another because teenagers are a dumb plot line of the, Marco doesn't really know what he wants. You know, he's hanging out with Kelly and it's like, oh, maybe this could be a thing. But yeah. in order to fully date Kelly, you would need to get rid of the feelings for Star. But does he, he even want that? 
Yeah, so then, then we get episode 8. Good so, fucking god. There's just something I do not get about this episode. They went and erased, like, basically uh, added new meaning to blood ball or whatever. The blood ball. I left that. <laughs> um, the blood moon ball. Yeah. And so we actually already had this once before. When, um, what, Marco tried to ask out... I actually cannot remember her name. Jackie? Yeah, Jackie. And it's, and it's revealed that Tom left a curse after the blood room, the blood ball. I'm just going to call the it the blood, blood ball now. Yeah. Or blood moon. Link, be careful. The thing, okay. So I have a lot to say about this episode. One, this is the most infuriating episode in the entire show. Bar none. No other episode even comes close for me. Because you're taking every Starco moment throughout pretty much almost the entire show, and you're tainting it. With this weird thing that kind of robs the characters of consent. Yes, they will reveal that they still have feel feelings later. But for all we know, even in this episode when they say, what if it was never the Blood Moon... They're still under the effects of the Blood Moon curse, so you can't really take that at face value. I mean, I still say that, you know, instead of robbing of consent, it has this entire weird effect with fate. Lily and I had a conversation before about how, yes, characters can glimpse the, glimpse the future, Sort of. Like, there's the tapestry thing, and also Glossaric can straight-up time travel, and so can his son, Ronaldo. And there, there's a lot going on. family is too big. It, there's a lot going on, but the bottom line is, fate isn't really set in stone. You can change things, because we see Star actually change something about her fate in the finale. Which will, we'll get to that. I mean, it just the thing, rewrote the fates. But um, I think also Star's reaction to the information that she's being provided by Tom, which I'll get to Tom in a second, because this makes Tom awful too, um, and also makes his character make no sense. I'll get to that. But anyway, Star's reaction to receiving this information shows that she also doesn't want these feelings either. Well, so, like, she doesn't want the feelings because, you know, she's trying to be in a relationship with Tom. But regardless, they're both... It's very much implied strongly that these feelings are because of the Blood Moon, and when they make the statement later, what if it was never the Blood Moon, like I said, you can't take that at face value, 
because they are still, at that moment, under the effects of the Blood Moon Curse. And then, they don't bring it up again immediately after that is lifted. They just kind of... Actually, they kind of do. They say that they don't really feel anything. Which, to me, suggests that the Blood Moon Curse was really a thing, and it was affecting their actions. And then, like, ten-something, I don't know, we'll go with ten or eleven episodes later, they they just decide to say, oh, yeah, I've had, we've had feelings since the beginning. Like, no, you fucking haven't. Just, no, you haven't. Because, matter of fact, I can tell you one thing, truth or punishment, the game did not call out Marco. It uh, called yeah. out Star. And Marco said he had a crush on Jackie. Very weird. This entire... Okay. I One thing I don't really like about shows is when they change something about a earlier episode, especially if they're not in the same season. And this just is just not right. This entire, yeah. you can actually go through the entire show, skip this episode, and barely nothing will change. Barely. Yeah. But... There is one key thing that I still haven't dug into. What hmm. this episode does to Tom's character. Throughout all of season three and season four, Tom has been an excellent boyfriend. The man, he worked on himself. Like, he's there on song day. He realizes Star is into someone else. So his thought process goes... I've been a shit person, and that's led to her completely losing interest in me and being interested in someone else. I'm going to work on myself so that this doesn't hinder me in the future. And he does a lot of things that are healthy changes. And he's not doing the changes for Star. He's doing them for himself. There's that whole mm -hmm. demoncism episode where he actually goes and tries to make a change for himself, that Star is genuinely worried about and doesn't think he should because it might be, like, too painful. But this episode actually makes this make no sense because Tom is there on so Song Day and he has the knowledge that he placed this Blood Moon curse on them. So... There, it doesn't make sense for him to suddenly have this realization that she's not into him. Because, logically, he would think these feelings for Marco that she has are because of the Blood Moon curse. So I mean, his improvements as a... Um, I mean, didn't Star break up with Tom even before the series? You know, began? Yes. But, like, he was slowly improving. But I, I would say his character makes a very, very sharp improvement going from season two to season three. 
So, throughout this entire time, there was something I've been very curious about. Why did they ever break up to begin with? Probably because he was kind of toxic. I mean, he's I mean, pretty toxic. More like a specific reason. I mean, we obviously know that it was probably Star that broke up with him first because of how uh, Star reacted to Tom. Even on the post that episode, the one where she meant to call her mom. As um, calling Tom. Yeah, it's like, I think it was the Monster Arm episode, but I'm not sure. Hmm. But yeah, um, it, it, to me, like, it, the, this whole episode, it just makes Tom a character that doesn't make sense, but it also makes him a shitty boyfriend. Um, and that's the thing I am really annoyed by, because it kind of makes all the character development that he's done feel like I don't want to say it feels meaningless but it feels like they massively undercut it it's yeah. like oh you th yeah, yeah and there's also something else that you just made me realize why would it, um, Tom even agree to be you know, Star's boyfriend if he knew that Star was under the effect of this curse. Yeah, that's another aspect of it. Like, th this whole thing just makes all of his actions in Season and 3, like, his actions in Season 3 and, like, the things that he says in Season 3 make no sense. And something that I thought about was, oh, what if he just forgot? But... He remembers it way too quickly in this episode if he forgot. Well, he also says, like, everything was awkward this entire time. Like, implying that he's been thinking about this the whole time. So there's if no he way he just forgot and suddenly it. remembered. Yeah, no, if you'll see about this entire time, I feel like it would have been brought up a sooner and dealt with way sooner. It should have been. But instead, they want to have this be Tom is a shit person. Anyway, again, um, didn't like his proposed solution take like another thousand years? It was uh, 665, um, which oh. gotta love how. Gotta love how, um, in the Blood Moon Ball episode, they're like, oh, it takes place once every 667 years. And then, in this episode, it's like, oh, you, you'd have to wait 665 years for another one. Oh, right, you don't live that long. And I'm like, oh, cool. Does that so imply just... two, like, two years have gone by? Yeah, except the weird thing, Star and Marco are 14 at the beginning of the series and 15 at the end. So the timeline doesn't match up. They really just didn't... They wanted to avoid the number 666, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I mean, you... I don't know. Maybe their birthdays were just after the Blood Moon Ball? 
Star's birthday is literally the first episode of the series. Oh, yeah. And then... Maybe Tom is just simplifying it? I don't know. And then both Star and Marco have their birthdays in Season 3. Um, you know, we're dealing yeah. up with numbers of 600. I don't think one is uh, one year matters. Anyway, so moving on, let's get to Episode 9. Um, I've really enjoyed the A part of Episode 9. It's... um. It was nice to see Ludo and all of his brothers moving on and building their own lives away from their parents and the abuse that their parents, you know, put on them. Yeah, I don't know how much I like this episode, mainly because it it just feels like this entire season was built and there's like, oh yeah, whatever happened to Ludo? Yeah, like, I, I do appreciate that this, like, I do appreciate that this loose end is tied up, but it does feel a little bit random. But, that being said, it's great to see them move on. The But that's really all we can say about it. The B part, really, it's just a setup for Mina. Um, I think that's where... This is where Moon finds out about Mina, I think. Um, and then supposedly does nothing about it. But we know that actually they teamed up at this point. I don't... Why? I feel like Moon just wanted, you know, to continue her vacation. Yeah, it's dumb. Anyway, episode 10, um, I, th- I, I literally didn't, um, okay, so I know the general plot of this episode, it's that sports game, I can't remember the name of it, I think it was Cornball, um, but, yeah, cornball. um, basically the only real note that I had for this episode is, the adults are still fighting while the younger generations have already figured it out. I like that. Like that yeah, like that's a perfect mirror for like the world today, particularly in regards to LGBT people. Like the adults, like the older generations are still fighting about it, but the younger generations have already figured it out. LGBT people were not we're not that different, and we deserve to be treated equally. If only I could say that about every one of the younger people. For the majority. I think I, we're coming close, we're coming very, very close to a time when homophobia and transphobia are going to be seen as just as bad of traits to have as racism. And there's also, um, I mean, I do have younger friends that I, that have traits of homophobia. And it's probably because of, you know, being passed down from the parents. Yeah. And typically a lot of the time, 
Um, kids that are raised to be homophobic and transphobic, once they move out on their own, they tend to develop their own views, and it changes. For some reason, I don't feel like he's going to change. Um, at least but, the person I'm thinking about. Very conservative and definitely past that. I would have said the same about me when I was younger. Fair enough. Um, so in the B part, we, we have basically Glossaric taking Meteora on a trip through time. And we get the reveal that the Mumins might... Uh, well, we get the first implication that the Mumins might have just been humans. And we get a direct reveal that a time-traveling Glossaric created the wand. Glossaric has always uh, confused me. So... From what I'm understanding, the way time travel works in this world is that it works under the principle of... How do I put this? The, the best way to describe it, if I go back in time, then I have already been back in time. That is to say, these events are already... Like, these events have already happened... And I have to do these actions at this specific point in my life in order for those events to happen. Yeah, it's which is different from Back to the Future, which going back in time would create a whole new timeline. Yeah. So, like, you- I, have, I have seen this method of time travel done before. Um, they, they do this in Artemis Fowl. Um, where if you go back in time, the events that cause you to go back in time have already happened. And everything that you did while in the past also already happened. And you're just ensuring it's happened. What do you think about this? I think it's a perfectly fine way to do time travel. And I don't think it's done. I don't think it's done this way often enough. I don't know. I think I prefer how Back to the Future handles it. I think my favorite method of time travel is multiverse theory, where you're not actually traveling back in time. You're just traveling to a different universe. Honestly, I think my favorite version of time travel is just not doing it at all. But regardless... That's its own thing. Um, so 11A, I literally had nothing to say, so I don't... Rem- I, I, I wrote nothing down for 11A, so what was 11A? Um, oh, Marco is knighted by Eclipsa. Okay, yeah, I, I, I didn't have anything to I say about that. I think there's it- a reason why um, you didn't write anything. I mean, ultimate, ultimately, this is just tying up a plot thread that was set up in Season 3, and that's all it is. Yeah, why do I feel this is a trend? 
Season 4 is bad, tying up plot threads, or both. Yeah, so 11B, this is the one. This is the episode I referenced earlier, where I said, there is a Ponyhead episode in this season that I think is the worst Ponyhead episode of all of them. Um, can you remind what? me what happened in this episode? All it says... You know, Star Marco must rescue the kidnapped Eclipsa. Oh, yeah. wait, I remember it now. <laughs> See, all you had to do was read the description. Yeah, Eclipsa is kidnapped, sort of, by Ponyhead and her sisters. And that's the whole thing. And Ponyhead's just being really obnoxious this whole episode, and it frustrates me. And then at the end, they subvert your expectations, not in a fun way, by having Eclipsa actually just playing VR. I don't know. This episode really didn't do it and for having, me. It was a whole... Just it was a whole the entire thing be a PR stunt. A PR stunt, which I guess it worked. It should have failed. Probably should have. Okay. Episode 13A. Okay. For starters, fart joke. Why? I'm sorry, wait, why are we talking about episode 13? Because I didn't write anything about 12 either. We were actually going through an entire argument about um, episode 12b. Well, what was 12a no first? Name. What was 12a? Oh, um... Junk and Jana. You mean Jana? Oh, Jana. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I still have no clue what that episode is. Oh, wait, that's... That's the Jana and Tom episode. Yep. There's nothing really to say about that. It's just like, oh yeah, a friendly reminder that Mina's doing stuff. Okay, back... It, and then, 12B. Okay, let's talk about that. I actually think this is the best Into the Wand episode. Lily has some really weird hatred of these episodes that I don't fully understand. I don't think I fully understand it either. What I do know is I think that they're pointless, and there's been other things that, you know, you've looked inside the wand, not only with, um, you know, Star going inside the wand to, to retrieve something, and then you have, you know, the two instances where the wand literally opens up to reveal a horse. Okay, so a couple of things. There are not multiple instances of Star going inside the wand. There's only one. And even that episode is really weird uh, because it seems far more like it's just her mind. Um, um, I think what I really mean multiple instances is the, um, just looking inside the wand. That's not this weird thing. Yeah, okay. So looking inside the physical wand itself... I've already stated my belief that the in the wand episodes are like actually taking place inside the crystal. 
So, that's my stance on it. But the other thing here is that you can't say this episode does not have a point. Because it sets up the spell with no name. I can't say that in general this this episode doesn't have a point. What I can't say is I wish that this episode was better. You know, No, actually, th this episode is really good. Um, I don't like this entire... What's the point of having all of the spells that, you know, the wand cast in this little pocket dimension? They can do the spells just fine without the wand and without this pocket dimension in the wand. What's the point? See, like, I feel like that's a fair complaint. And for me, these episodes, they expand the world of the show. So, like, that's another point I would give. I think my biggest problem with these episodes, and we talked about it before, is the amount of spells that are just missing. Now, granted, some of them could just not be star spells or eclipses spells and are therefore in other rooms and therefore we never see them. Like the monster arm spell and the spell to cure the monster arm, those are clear those clearly didn't belong to Star or Eclipsa. So it makes sense that we don't see them. Um, I'm not sure if we ever saw Rainbow Fist, but part of me feels like we did. Hmm. But then there's, like, Sparkle Kitten Firework Shower. I don't recall seeing that one. And then mm -hmm. there's, like, Sparkle Glitter Bomb Expand and Mystic Room Suck Transform. Like, I don't recall seeing those. But the weird thing here is that even if that's the case, the All-Seeing Eye appears in both Eclipse's room and Star's room. That's another thing I do not understand about how this works. Why it does works. it appear twice? How it works is they forgot to include every spell. No, I mean, more of how does the all-seeing eye... How's there two copies of all-seeing eye? Well, for one, we are led to believe that Star's all-seeing eye is more powerful than Eclipse's. Because for one thing... Glossaric was surprised to see that Star could actually reach through it. I just thought that was an effect of Star being powerful, not just the spell itself. It's a combination of both. Like, in the hands of one magic wielder, the spell is going to be different than it is in the hands of another magic wielder. Just like how two people can follow the exact same recipe and create very different tasting meals. Okay. That's how I see it. But I think the big issue is missing spells. Um, but as it is, I do think this episode is pretty good. I liked... I, I really liked the narwhal in this episode, really. And I'm not a huge fan of narwhals either um like fine like they exist I, I don't go crazy over narwhals like some people do but i i thought the whole thing of like oh he can actually see the uh 
the spell because echolocation. Like, I thought that was a really creative way to have that episode um, conclude. Okay, so okay, back on... Okay, so now we can get to episode 13. So yeah, episode 13. As I was saying, there's a fart joke in this episode. Fart jokes are the lowest, lamest form of comedy, period. And anytime they're true. in any anytime they're in anything, I get annoyed. <laughs> but also, this episode has the reveal that Marco and Kelly fucking break up off screen. I in fact I think it was so quick even I missed it. I think I was like, okay, they've broken up. This is... Hell, I barely remember them being together. It's just... It annoys me so much. You put two characters in a relationship together. One of them is a fucking main character. And you break them up off-screen. That's just... That is not good writing. It just isn't. I feel like... Especially when you dedicate time to developing this relationship, to have it end off-screen is really weird. Yeah, I feel like season three wanted it, and season four didn't want it. So instead, what they did is just continue it from season three to just end it. I think one of the best episodes for their relationship was actually episode 7 of this season. But that's beside the point. Um, so the part B to episode 13 is just like Eclipsa inside Globgor's mind. And we get to see Eclipsa and Globgor together. And they are fucking adorable. This, this season uh, really did shine on one thing and one thing only. Eclipsa and Glopgor, really. Like, honestly, are we surprised? Because the last season had its issues with, like, the whole monster racism plotline, how they basically abandoned it and pushed it off to this season. Um, and then, like, how the whole Eclipsa family drama situation was the great aspects of season three. That's kind of true here, too. The whole family dynamic between... Eclipsa and Meteora and Globgor is the best part of this season. Which is the sad part, because it's really not that much in this season. Very sad. Yeah. Um, and then, but this is also the episode where we have an one angry star, you know, angry about, you know, Eclipsa's theft, and let's be honest, something she was she should be angry about is Eclipsa peeking into her mind. But at that point, Star has already lied to her. And that is just never brought up. Yeah. And also, we didn't bring this up earlier, but Eclipsa does, does this weird body swapping spell with Romulus to try to force Globgor free. Um... And that's really weird and gross, and I, I do appreciate that Star calls her out on it. I still think Romulus was being a bitch, and 
I mean, if you have to swap bodies in order to free someone, literally the only one you've ever loved. I mean, there, there's a point where you're desperate enough for even that. I feel like it's too far. And Star felt that way, too. Um, and of I course, feel like what's Rom too far is what Romulus did later in the season. We'll get to that. So, I don't know what happened in episode 14. My only note for that episode was, if only the racists and homophobes and transphobes would go off and create their own community apart from everyone else. Which is kind of oh. what the racists did in this show. Yep, is is what happened in this um, episode, where um, Eclipse uh, or Moon just wants to wait. You said episode fourteen, right? Yes. Oh shit, that's actually a really important episode. I don't know how you have no notes for it. Okay. This episode is the um, Romulus. Um, unfreezes uh, um God, Globor? Yeah, his name is Globor. Yeah, okay. So Romulus unfreezes Globor during Eclipse's coronation, which just appropriate pun. Um, finally, sorry, finally someone mentions it. Tom said, yeah, this is kind of fitting. We are very obsessedly uh, just obsessed with corn. Like, finally, someone mentions how much they're obsessed with corn. Yeah, but, okay, so, this is a whole plot to overthrow Eclipsa and place Moon in charge. And we'll kind of learn later that Moon actually orchestrated this whole thing, which I hate technically that, means... Let's continue. Technically, that means Moon is guilty of Treason? No, not treason, because they're not at war. It's sedition. Um, but regardless, Actually, we were having... Actually, didn't you say that um, Moon was forming her own um, kingdom? So couldn't no. you call it... I don't agree. I, I don't agree with that, because... I think the, I guess you would call it a, I, I, I think the most appropriate word here is village. They were forming a village. And. But she was n now not associated with the kingdom of monsters. What word did you use for it? It was, um. A coup. Yeah, see, now that was more referring to Romulus, because. You and I had a conversation about what crime exactly Romulus committed. And he definitely we were committed entrapment. We were throwing around the, um, the, the ideas of treason and sedition, but really the problem with those ideas is that he's not a citizen of Muni. He's a member of the Magic High Commission, which govern... Like, something about the Magic High Commission that's not really explored much in this show is that they don't just oversee the government of Muni. 
They oversee the governments of a lot of different places. Obviously not any Earth governments, because magic isn't really that big of a thing on Earth. Even though apparently magic does flow in Earth. Yes, I mean, we did have characters like the Joy Sucker, and Sar was clearly able to use her magic on Earth, which, realistically, if magic didn't flow into that dimension, she shouldn't have been able to use it. So... Yada yada. Yeah. Ha ha. Yada yada. Um, but, yeah. Um, like I'm saying, he Romulus is a member of a body that actually goes above Muni. Uh, regardless, he's not a citizen of Muni, so he can't really be guilty of treason or sedition, because you have to be a citizen of that nation to do those. So... He's attempting a coup here. It it fails, and Romulus doesn't get punished at all, um, even though it's implied he will be. Um, yeah. Obviously, Romulus it doesn't get punished here. He was, it was implied that he was going to be sent to jail. Obviously, that was just a lie made by the Magic High Commission. Yeah, Romulus fucking gets off scot free. Um, so yeah, now Globgor is free. Fun. But he's actually a really sweet guy, as we learned in an earlier episode. And then we- he, makes, he makes some very unfunny jokes, though. <laughs> oh, well. He is a dad. Um, do, well, do. It, it, it's not even the fact that he's a dad. He makes more, like... It's not necessarily just that the jokes are unfunny. It's more that they, uh, they're in poor taste. Hmm. But yeah, um, episode 15, Marco goes to Earth. I'm not sure if Star's there yet, but Marco goes to Earth. Oh, yes. Uh, no, wait. Yeah, a star is you know, going to different places and um, talking, um, saying goodbye to everyone. Yeah, because, like, oh, right, okay, so Star goes to Earth at the the very, very end of this uh, episode. So, yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, like, she's supposed to be going on a trip with Tom and is, like, delaying this trip a lot. Like, by just going around and saying goodbye to practically random people um, who she barely knows at, like, at a certain point. And then, obviously, Tom is like, yeah, obviously, you're not into this. I'm just gonna leave now. Do what you want. Because <laughs> a pirate is free. You are a pirate. <laughs> what was that tangent? I don't know. Alright, well, anyway, it was something. So, quite earlier on, um, we got this reveal that Marco's mom was pregnant. And it's it was supposed to be uh, that Marco was going to be getting a baby brother, but we get the... Um, 
In this episode, we get the reveal that, actually, the doctors were wrong. He's got a baby sister. And her name is Mariposa. Which is the Spanish word for butterfly. I mean, they were naming it after someone that lived, you know, some children that lived in our house. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it was something. But the thing, I, I do have a problem with this episode, and I have something that I genuinely love about this episode. So the problem, the problem first. The problem that I have is it's really fucking creepy and gross that literally everyone assumes that Mariposa is Marco's daughter. This kid is 15, dude. Very, very creepy. Yeah. So, I don't I'm feel just like wondering to... why everyone is just like, oh, cool, you have a daughter. Like, not only do they assume that, which is weird, they're, like, okay with that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, This th th that rubbed me the wrong way. Now, the thing that I really love about this episode, Jackie. The reveal that she's either bi or a lesbian. Love it. And they just ride away off into yeah. the sunset. Also, the fact that Marco's prize was stolen. Yeah, was stolen, which we will get back to. Um, so yeah, at the end of the episode, Star comes to Earth. And yeah, we're back on Earth for a bit. And we get to see the Earth side characters for one last time. Um, oh yeah, just Avery, like um, just... You're confusing two different... That's what's happening. You're meshing two different episodes in your head. No, I'm we not. Just, yeah, we just talked about uh, Bretta's Tacos 15B. Star was already on Earth by this time. Yeah, this is all under 15. Yeah, but just what you said about how Star returned to Earth at the end of the episode. She was already on Earth. Okay, fine. She returns to Earth at the end of the A episode, because the A episode is entirely Star and Tom and that whole stupid thing. Beach day. We already we already had a fake-out beach day, so now we're going to have the real beach day. And also, a possible Phineas and Ferb reference, because Star says to Marco, Marco, I know what we're going to do today. I mean, Disney-owned property, they can do what they want. Yeah, they can do what they want. But then also, Phineas and Ferb made a Spongebob reference. So... I mean, I think it's clear why. They were actually making fun of Spongebob in that reference, but hey. Uh, I mean, the creator of Phineas and Ferb worked on Spongebob. Yes. But, I mean, one of the creators... Because Phineas and Ferb had two creators. But regardless... Yeah, regardless, um, this is kind of where my notes break down. And I don't really have notes from here on out. Because everything from here on out is super serialized. 
whereas everything before was kind of more episodic. I think, like, there's a certain part in the last few episodes where it just gets uh, serialized again. Yeah. Yeah, I think from this point onward, it is just serialized, and there's no point in splitting it up episode by episode anymore. So I didn't Well, bother. good, because um, we are getting a, a pretty far, um, pretty yeah. long. Um. I think we're fine. We can actually just cover the rest of the show here. Yeah, um, I'm just saying we should probably stop covering it episode by episode and now just the theme. Yeah, so um, we have a, a little bit of time we spend here on Earth. Um, and Tom portals in, and basically there's this breakup scene between him and Star. Um which really just only happens so that Marco and Star can get together later. Like, um, but what was really important about this is that no one can portal anywhere. And I don't know, it just seemed kind of predictable to me that it wasn't actually because of their emotions. Um, I don't know why they didn't try dimensional scissors first. Because neither one of them had them. Star doesn't have. Had... Hmm. No, ever since running with scissors, Star has not had dimensional scissors. Um, Weird. I thought at least, um, and I guess um, Marco had the dimensional scissors. I know Star right. borrows them. Yeah, she borrowed them occasionally, but she doesn't need them because she has her butterfly form, which can open portals. And then Tom also just kind of has the ability to open portals, too. So neither one of them need dimensional scissors, so they, of course they don't try it until Marco shows up. Um, but regardless, it was kind of predictable to me. So they have to figure out a way to get back to Muni. And they soon realize, hey, wait a minute, there was that one episode earlier where Janna somehow figured out a way to Muni without a portal. How did she do that? So they track down Janna. Um, weirdly, they call her parents Mr. and Mrs. Janna. When we know her last name, it's Ordonia. Um, but whatever. Um, so we, long story short, there's like this whole scene of like following Janna around, and we finally figure out where the magic well comes up to Earth. And they follow the magic well into the magic dimension. Here's where I have another problem with this season. There's weird purple goop in the magic dimension and, like, purple unicorns and shit that is never explained. I mean, there's a lot of things about the magic dimension that was never explained. No, this... Like, I'm sorry. This is the thing that irks me. Like... There's a lot that you can pick up on. There's a lot that you can infer. Like, obviously, Star was in the Magic Dimension in the Battle for Muni. Like, you can infer that. Um, like, that she was there uh, when she basically gets absorbed inside Ludo, which is weird. But regardless, Toffee contaminated all magic, and yeah. 
and, and now they're just doing the exact same thing. Oh, wait, sorry, we'll get to that. But the problem here is that uh, this purple goop isn't explained, and it becomes a kind of a big deal in the in the finale, because uh, Tom... We'll get to that. Anyway, so during this scene, Marco tells Star while he's all high on the magic that he loves her. And uh, they get to being really weird um, and annoying the crap out of Star's unicorn daughter. Um, So she zaps them and sends them all to Muni, except for Tom for some reason. Why? I don't know, and I don't feel like knowing. <laughs> of course, they all go to different places. This is kind of established that that's how it would work, because um, that's what happened to Moon and Star um, at the end of Season 3. So, like, that works. And meanwhile, um, Mina has been preparing an attack on the Monster Temple, which is where Eclipse is ruling from. And basically, she sends out one guy ahead of everybody else to kind of keep them preoccupied. And Eclipse manages to destroy this guy with the spell with no name. Which, by the way, destroys literally everything in its path. Yeah. Like, it, no wonder the other spells were trying to get that one under control. And Which, I'm just wondering, does Eclipsic using the spell put it back into the, um, you know, uh, pickle jar? I don't want to know, honestly. Like, I genuinely do not want to know. But, okay, yeah, so enough. all this is all this is going on, um, and they finally figure out, oh, there's hundreds of these Solarian warriors. What do we got to do about it? Um, so they start making it. Mina basically gives them time to make a plan, and they create this evacuation plan, and then Star and Marco kind of go off to, like, some pig goats and supposed to put them out to pasture, and, like, Marco makes a comment that this is a little random, because it is. It's completely random. The whole reason this scene exists is so that they could tie everything up for the Starco shippers. And I'm sorry, but, like, I'm someone who shipped Star and Marco, but this scene is not satisfying, because it doesn't feel earned. Yeah. Their relationship... Their relationship does not feel earned. It does not feel the d- developed. They had plenty of time between episode 8 and this episode to develop their relationship, and they just didn't do it. So, I'm sorry. It doesn't work for me. I don't know. It. it there's This episode is just... Um, not this episode, this scene is placed there. I think, okay, I think I finally figured it out. 
um, something I can talk about. It's just a little too late. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it's not satisfying to see Star and Marco get together. I wish it was, because I was someone who shipped it the whole show. And, like... Honest, I, I, I saw want- people saying... Hmm. I saw people saying the Owl House would get ruined by shipping the way that Star vs. the Forces of Evil did. And I'm sorry, but no. Star vs. the Forces of Evil didn't get ruined by shipping. It got ruined by bad writing. Star vs. the Forces of Evil got ruined by a lot of bad writing. Yeah. But... Also, during while this is going on, we get the reveal that Queen Moon has been working with Mina this entire time. Can I just say how absolutely bullshit this reveal is? And it's not even mentioned, not even talked about, not even implied until this moment. I mean, there is a subtle hint with the coronation. Like, how the fuck did she know Globlor was coming? Um. That, okay, that is some I never picked up on on the first my my first watching. But regardless, it's still a bad twist. And like first, like throughout while I was watching this season, I was kind of working in, like, my idea that, like, okay, her working with Mina, it could kind of make sense because she spent all of this season in an echo chamber, and that's how radicalization happens. But no, 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 no. That's not what happened here. We get the reveal that she that she has been working with Mina since very, very early in the season, and that does not work with the idea of an echo chamber and radicalization. It just flat out doesn't work, period. So the fact it that makes she is planning a whole coup to take yeah. over the throne. I didn't even think that she wanted the throne. That's like that's my perspective too. Like clearly she doesn't want it anymore, but then like, now she's saying and doing stuff that is the opposite. It doesn't make sense. Moon's writing and, goes to absolute shit here. And also, earlier in the show, she's seen to have a lot of work. And yeah. hell, Star was even like, oh, being, you know, queen. I think it's even along the lines of, do you like being queen? And... I mean, her basic response is, this just has to happen. So yeah, um, while all this is going on, the Magic High Commission's in a meeting, and Hecapu is getting bored as shit. So she kind of just, like, sort of does her cloning power on herself that she has. Um, and, and she dips. Yeah, she dips. Uh, one, uh, one of the clones dips out, basically yoinks Moon, Star, Eclipsa, Meteora, and Marco out and of the situation. The edge of the multiverse. Yeah, the tavern at the end of the multiverse. Which I don't know why. I don't know what this is a reference to, but I have seen the tavern at the end of the multiverse in so many goddamn things. It's even in What If. 
I've seen a tavern in um what lies in the multiverse. It was at the end of the multiverse, but it was there was a tavern in there. But yeah, like I, I do love there's that the there's the whole edge of non-existence thing, and Star actually tells Moon to go stand over there where you don't exist, <laughs> and I was like, damn. I mean that that's how you know Star hates you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then she kind of just randomly forgives her later for no real discernible reason. I mean, I guess because there was baker things to fry. Yeah, but anyway, um, Star makes the decision to destroy the magic. Glossaric kind of reinforces this decision, but like also um, there's the whole thing of, oh, she'll lose Marco, which is just a needless thing to do to create tension. Um, because I mean, she doesn't I end up like. Losing. I mean, Glossaric basically is like, what? I don't care about Marco. You'll lose me. No, I really don't think that was a thing. Um, what? No, Glossaric was like, no, Marco's not there. And Glossaric was like, what? No, Mar Marco's in his own world. But I'm, but I'm not in this picture. No, he literally did not say that. That is one of the things he said. He did not say that. Glossaric seemed completely unconcerned with the fact that he was going to die. I mean, he seemed unconcerned later, but there was a point where he is like, um, he, where he mentioned that he was not in the picture of... Uh, that moment, and then reassure Star that, oh yeah, Marco, on the other hand, at least that's how he thought about it, like, Marco, on the other hand, yeah, you know, he's just living his Earth life. Yeah, no, I, I think you kind of just randomly came up with that, because like, there's also the scene later, where Star literally, like, after Star has destroyed the magic, where she literally asked, what happens to you now? Which would make no sense if she already knew. Uh, I think maybe I just misinterpreted something. Probably. But anyway, we do also get the reveal that creatures and characters who are made of magic die because of Star destroying the magic. So, Which means everyone on the Magical High Commission... Well, I think you might as well get that six feet uh, grave ready. Yeah, so everyone on the Magic High Commission, dead. All of the creatures that live inside the wand pocket dimension, they're dead too. And in countless other dimensions, we don't know how many magic creatures that are made of magic exist. Star literally commits genocide in this episode... And Eclipsa and Me and uh, Moon help her. Technically, Meteora does too, but I can't hold her accountable for that because she's a baby. So yeah, um, Star commits genocide. Moon and Eclipsa are accomplices. Fun. 
this, yeah. this is how we want to decide our, the ending of our show. Yeah, and then um, there's a, some whole bullshit about Star and Marco running towards a portal that ends up somehow combining Earth and Muni. In a really weird way, it's kind of... If you buy into the whole thing where, like... Okay, for starters, it's undeniable Gravity Falls and Star vs. the Forces of Evil are connected. Um, but, like, then there's questions about Amphibia and the Owl House. That makes things weird. Um, it could just be this town that Star and Marco live in and Muni, but that doesn't really um, make, make sense. sense for the Owl House. Like, it doesn't make sense for the Owl House because both take place in L.A., at least the Earth portions of the shows do. Uh, no. Uh, yes. I looked that it up. That was Amphibia. Amphibia takes place in L.A. If I remember, um, Owl House takes place in what? Freaking Orlando or something? I do not recall that being a thing. Where does... Oh. Uh, you can continue talking. But... Regardless, yeah, that's the end of the season. So, um, also, we didn't talk about the random weird trip that Mariposa and Meteora took to um, the abs dimension. Um, so, like, that was its uh -oh. own thing. That was, it, it was kind of cool. Um, but it was whatever. Uh, but anyway. Abs. So, one of the one of the things that I think particularly annoys me about this season is that it's just not as funny as seasons one through three were. There were a couple of things that I laughed at, sure, but there were just so many things that it it, it felt like they were trying to be funny and the jokes weren't landing. Also, Lucas in Connecticut. Where did you get Orlando from? Not a clue. <laughs> I okay. Yeah, no, sir. But, just not a clue. <laughs> yeah. So, regardless, my point still stands that it probably doesn't make much sense unless Amphibia takes place before Star versus the Forces of Evil. Yeah, and I specifically know that it was LA. I actually had to Google where Star vs. the Forces of Evil takes place. But yeah, it is L.A. Um, so I don't know. It's it, uh, shows taking place in L.A. these days. Well, yeah, it's a big city. So therefore, more stuff there. Um, I don't know, if this ending really does just feel weird about any tie-ins to Gravity Falls, hell... I watched the entire show, and I still didn't see anything about Gravity Falls. Well, there are uh, solid connections, but it's mostly just background details that you wouldn't notice on your first watch through. Um, but, but there's and, enough there to confirm it. Um, I mean, there's an, um, there can still be a mystery shack in Gravity Falls, without having the events of Gravity Falls taken place 
exactly as they were in this dimension, in this world. Regardless, uh, I mean, Gravity Falls was its was also, like, several miles away. Like, that was all the way up in Oregon. And it feels like, you know, when a place combines with another place, when a whole dimension com combines with, you know, a city, it should be on the news. Yeah, but it would also be after the events of Gravity Falls. Hmm. So, it's not something they would have known. Um, but anyway, I think with all that being said, like I, like I said, season's not as funny, but I don't really have too much more to say on the matter. So, now, do you want to talk about... My last point is just, I hate the story where this story goes and i think that they could have made a far better story that continues on with what season three was getting at yeah like i think behind all the anger that this season gives me is disappointment because at the end of season two i said that this was my favorite show at the time, I even thought it could potentially, like, compete with Avatar The Last Airbender. But Season 3 happened, and it was just okay. And then Season 4 just destroyed everything. Season 4 so was quite possibly the worst I've ever seen a show ruin itself. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about how critics rated the entire show. Look, because, reminder, this isn't just how they rated season four. And I think seasons one through three are pretty good. So, I actually only have one rating to give. Hmm. IMDB gives this show an eight out of ten. This is truly an 8 out of 10 show. And then 93% of Google users liked the show. Hmm. I, I do kind of agree. This show is an 8 out of 10. Um, but as for this season, um, I think I'm going to give this season a 5.6. Damn. You think it's better than The Lost Unicorn? I mean, it is. I, I don't, this series, this show just bombed at this, it just feels such a waste. This show, this season was a waste of potential. And I've been conflicted on how to rate this before we even began. I think I'm going to have to go with somewhere around where you went, but lower, um, 5.3. All right. So, yeah, that, that just about covers everything. So you can join us next week for um, 
I think it was Stitch the movie and Infinity Train Season 4. Um, mm-hmm. Next month, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be replacing our Star vs. the Forces of Evil slot. Um, so, look forward to that. But, with all that being said, I've been Avery, that's been Lily, and we will be seeing you. <laughs>